is crowned with glory now. The Savior knelt to wash our feet. Now at his feet we bow. Shines for all to see. Your name, your name is victory. All praise will rise to Christ our King. Your name, your name is victory. All praise.
Welcome to day four of the Feast of Tabernacles. It's going to be a very meaningful day today. Joshua, can you tell us, where are we today? Monaco, we are here at the Garden Tomb, which is a very significant location. It's the place where Jesus, after dying on the cross, was laid to rest, and also where he was resurrected. We hear this in John chapter 20, verse one. Now, the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran to came and came to Simon Peter and the other disciple who Jesus loved. This is the location where Jesus was raised up, and uh, we're going to learn a little bit more about this location, but we're so excited to have you here today. Nicole, what else is going to be happening today? We're going to have beautiful worship today with uh, Brigitte Vexler and Ray Ramirez. You've already enjoyed one song with them, beautiful worship, and we'll have more worship with them in the King of Kings community. Also, we'll have a powerful message with Wayne Hillsden. Wow, that's exciting. I can't wait for this. We're also going to be having a time of communion and prayer.
led by two pastors, an Arab pastor and a Messianic Jewish believing pastor. So exciting, and we're also going to be having a time where uh, Abraham Ben Hood, a Messianic pastor, is going to be sharing with us uh, a discussion um, about the resurrection and how it links to Passover. Next, you're going to be seeing a video uh, that which shows a little bit more about why the Garden Tomb is such a significant location. Here in Jerusalem, just outside the old city walls, you can find a beautiful and vibrant garden. And right beside the garden, a rock face known as Skull Hill or Golgotha. Welcome to the Garden Tomb. Scripture tells us that in the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden and in the garden, a new tomb. It was into that tomb that the body of Jesus was laid. Millions of people around the world believe that this garden is that place. What makes a visit to the Garden Tomb unique is the connection between Skull Hill, the garden, and the tomb itself. These three elements work together to bring to life that final chapter of Jesus' ministry. Early on the third day after the burial of Jesus, some women came to the tomb seeking his body. An angel appeared to them and said, I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, he is risen. This is a tomb, an empty tomb that speaks of the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. For many people, this is a life-changing moment. After a visit to the tomb, there is time and space for people to reflect upon the story of Jesus the Messiah, his death and resurrection. Many groups decide to book a place where they can meet for worship and prayer, maybe communion. As well as tours of the garden, we also host events such as worship services for large Christian groups and also musical concerts. Every day, groups and individuals from all over the world are blessed and encouraged by their visit to the Garden Tomb. Entrance is free, and we're supported by the donations of our visitors and also by the Garden Tomb Shop. Wherever you are and wherever you come from, I encourage you to come and visit the Garden Tomb. Come and see for yourself. We look forward to welcoming you soon. in tears they laid him 
history. Death is beating, you have rescued me. Sing it out, Jesus is alive. The empty cross, the empty grave. Life eternal, you have won the day. Shout it out, Jesus is alive. He's alive. like to introduce our speaker, Pastor Wayne Hilsden, the co-founder of the King of Kings community, along with his wife, Anne. They've been longtime pastors here in Jerusalem. 
he's also the president of Israel Related Ministries. It's a fellowship of over 50 uh, ministries together based here in Israel. What an amazing place to preach. I've had this privilege on sunrise services in Jerusalem on Easter Sunday a number of times, but it's special to be part of this celebration with the International Christian Embassy, where I serve on the advisory board here locally and where I've been involved for 38 years. I remember my first feast with the embassy, I played third trumpet in the orchestra. Well, I can't play trump trumpet anymore, but I, I can still preach, I think. Now, this place, if it's not where Jesus rose from the dead, it's so much like the place described in the scriptures. We read this in John chapter 19, verses 41 to 42. Now, in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had been laid. So there they laid Jesus because of the Jews' preparation day for the tomb was nearby. And Matthew chapter 27 says, that there was a, a wealthy follower of Jesus. His name was Joseph, and he was from Arimathea. And he asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. He wanted to lay him in his own tomb that he had hewed out of the rock himself. Now, if you were to do a tour of this property we're on today, you would be convinced that this was a wealthy man, for this was quite an agricultural enterprise he had in this garden. But I'm not really here today to focus just on this piece of property, but actually a piece of real estate that has eternal value and it's out of this world and having the title deed to that property is what our whole life should be about it should be our pursuit you see just before jesus went to the cross he said these words in john chapter 14 let not your heart be troubled you believe in god believe also in me in my father's house are many mansions if it were not so i would have told you I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. When we die, we go to paradise. Jesus promised a repentant sinner, a criminal who hung next to him on a cross, not far from here. And he said to that man who was about to die, assuredly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Paradise is a play, place where the righteous dead dwell in a state of blessedness, and it's generally equated with heaven. The Greek word paradisos is derived from a Persian word that means garden or park. And in the Greek Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, this word was used for the Garden of Eden in Genesis. Eventually, that heavenly paradise where the children of God go immediately when they die will descend to our earth as the new Jerusalem. And we know that this new Jerusalem will also be a garden city. Like Eden, the streets of the city will be lined with beautiful and productive trees. We read this in Revelation chapter 22 about this city. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal proceeding from the throne of God and from the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, and there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. 
Now, I've met a number of people who own a mansion on an 18-hole golf course, and they enjoy it very much. And yes, there are great benefits, but I tell you there are greater benefits in that future garden than you could ever have here on this earth. Now, knowing the kind of place where Jesus is preparing for us a place to live, wouldn't it be wise for us to make sure we know the way to get there? For the remaining part of my message, I want to talk about how to make sure we will have eternal life with him in the New Jerusalem. And one of my main texts is John chapter 7, verse 37 to 38. And it says, on the last day of that great day of the feast, well, that's the seventh day of the Feast of Tabernacles, the day the priests took water drawn from the pool of Siloam and poured it out at the altar in the temple. And it's on that day that we read here in this, these verses, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Let me tell you the first way to make sure you get to heaven and you get to that place where Jesus lives and where he desires to fellowship with you. The number one way is to RSP, our SVP, I should say, to Jesus' invitation, come to me. RSVP is an acronym for the French phrase, répondez s'il vous plaît, which means please reply. To RSVP, you are responding to an invitation. And in this case, you're responding to Jesus' invitation, come to me. His invitation is not come to church, but come to me. Now you can meet him at a church and that's a good place to meet him. But you can also go to church and miss him altogether. Being in church doesn't make you a follower any more than going into a parking garage makes you an automobile. We're talking about more than a religion or a right. We're talking about a relationship. So intimate is this relationship. The Bible teaches us that it's a relationship between a bridegroom and his bride. And one of the reasons Jesus came to this earth was to personally present us with an invitation, an invitation to come and live with him and walk with him forever. But unless we RSVP, that invitation will be null and void. It has an expiry date too. The expiry date is the date that we die. Hebrews 9:27 says, and it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. What does it mean to RSVP to Jesus' invitation? To come to me. It means saying, yes, I am coming. But not only that, it's saying, I am leaving behind something as well. My own personal pursuits, my own personal agenda, and I'm all in with you, and I want you to be the master of my life. Jesus says that clearly to his disciples in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. In more than one passage, Jesus pictures his eternal kingdom as a wedding celebration. Sending him your RVSP, RSVP is saying yes to his invitation to the wedding supper of the Lamb. It is leaving the highways and byways of your own self-centered agenda and following his agenda for your life. And that goes for me too. Do you feel close to God? If he feels far away from you, guess who moved? He's given you an invitation. He's opened the door to you. Are you tired of feeling distant from God? Do you feel isolated? Then send your RSVP to Jesus' written invitation, come to me. 
He loves you. He wants to fellowship with you forever. You know, he loved a man named Lazarus. In John chapter 11, verse 35, it says, Jesus wept. It's the shortest verse in the whole Bible. Why did he weep? He wept because Lazarus, his friend, had died. And it says in the text that the Jews who witnessed his tears said, Behold how he loved him. As one person has said, But the ultimate proof of his love for Lazarus was not in his tears. It was in what he did for Lazarus. He raised him from the dead. So I've talked about the first way to make sure we have eternal life and have a dwelling place in the New Jerusalem. It's to RSVP, to answer Jesus' invitation, come to me. It's to say yes and enter into an intimate relationship with him. Now I want us to go back to what Jesus declared in John chapter 7, verses 37 to 38. On this last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, he said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And so the second way to make sure we will have eternal life and a dwelling place in the New Jerusalem is to believe in him as the scriptures has said. Well, we have a solid foundation to know who Jesus really is. You know, some people fall in love and marry someone who doesn't really exist. <laughs> they fall in love and decide to say yes to a person who is a very good actor. Later, it's discovered that that person was nothing like the person they fell in love with. They said yes to an idealized concept of a person. But if they had known what they were really like, they would have said, no way, Jose. I'm meeting more and more people in this land who are starting to take an interest in Jesus. Uh, Israelis are realizing he's, he's more Jewish than they are. He lived a remarkable life and his teachings are profound. And yet this Jesus they are coming to love is only one of many other teachers and philosophers who they admire and love. They have a syncretistic belief, a merging of different religious figures, philosophies and, and schools of thought. Such admiration for certain aspects of Jesus' life and teaching, however, will not get you to heaven. The only way to be saved and have eternal life is by believing and entrusting your life into the hands of the real Jesus. And who is the real Jesus? It's the Jesus that's revealed in the written scriptures. Galatians 3, 8 says that the scripture preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand. And Abraham was looking for a city which has foundations and whose builder and maker is God. And we're called in the New Testament to have Abraham's kind of faith. We're not looking for fulfillment in this world, in this life, but our fulfillment is found in the garden city of the New Jerusalem. Now there's an essential truth about the real Jesus that if you don't believe that truth, you cannot be saved and go to heaven. We must believe what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 10 verse 9. If, if you confess your, with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Let me read that again. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's a big if. If we don't believe this about Jesus, then we're not saved. Then we are saved. If we don't believe this about Jesus, we will not be saved and be allowed to live in that city which has foundations, whose builder and maker 
is God. Someone wrote a song and the chorus goes like this, Jesus needed that tomb for just one weekend. He didn't stay there long, he only needed it for the weekend. Now he sits high upon his throne. <laughs> Saving faith requires that we believe that Jesus rose from the tomb just as the scriptures say, and that he only needed that tomb for the weekend. So far I've shared two essential ways to make sure we will have eternal life in a home a dwelling place that he's prepared for us in the New Jerusalem. First, we need to respond with an RSVP to his invitation to come to me, to enter into an intimate relationship with him. But if we don't know who he really is, we just have a concept of our own imagination about who he is, then that's not saving faith. We must believe in the one who is revealed in the scriptures, and the scriptures tell us he is the risen one. He's the risen one. Jesus' resurrection is a major, major proof of his lordship. In Romans chapter 1 verses 1 to 4, the apostle Paul says this about the gospel that he was set apart to preach. It is the gospel of God which he promised before through his prophets in the holy scriptures concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. C.S. Lewis said, Jesus Christ was either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. The resurrection of Christ proves he is Lord. Why is it so essential that you and I believe in our heart that Jesus rose from the dead? Because it proves that Jesus is Lord. Jesus' resurrection from the dead is a declaration that he indeed is the Son of God with power. But to be saved and experience eternal life now and forever, we must make Jesus our Lord. That's what he wrote about to his followers in Rome. We read that in Romans chapter 1, verse 3, concerning his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. We can get the wrong impression from some of our preaching. Even at our altar calls, when we compel people to come to faith, and sometimes it comes across as you just have to have a mental assent to a, a set of fundamental doctrines, and that'll be enough to save you. But Paul says in that verse that we just read that a person who is truly saved must believe in their heart. It's more than a mental intellectual agreement with a set of doctrines. It's gotta move 18 inches from our head to our heart. It moves there where our faith is so at the core of our being that we are ready to make the risen Lord our personal Lord, our Lord, the text says. Paul said this is essential to our salvation to make Jesus Lord. He says salvation happens if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that he has risen from the dead. Though Lord in this verse is the Greek word kurios, it is the equivalent of yud he vav he, those four Hebrew letters. We use the uh, acronym YHVA, or you could say Yahweh, but we don't know how to pronounce it. But in other words, Jesus is the Lord God. He's no mere man. He is God manifested in the flesh. Yes, 100% man, but 100% God as well. This condition for salvation, to believe he is Lord and he becomes your Lord personally, 
is the stumbling block that many people have as they look at Jesus. Maybe Jesus is a Messiah, but he's not the son of God and have the attributes of God. And most people here in Jerusalem can identify with the high priest who confronted Jesus. In Matthew chapter 26, verses 63 and following, and it says, and the high priest answered and said to Jesus, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the son of David. Jesus said to him, it is as you said. Nevertheless, I say to you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming in the clouds of heaven. And then the high priest tore his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. It's not blasphemy to claim that Jesus is the Messiah. There were many messiahs who came. But his equating himself with God by affirming that he is both Son of Man and Son of God was committing blasphemy of the highest order in his Jewish society. It could be hard to believe that he is the Lord God, the master of the universe in the flesh. You know, even one of his followers named Thomas had problems believing he was the Lord and God. We read this in John chapter 20, verse 26 to 28. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut and stood in the midst and said, peace, to you. Then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands. Uh, reach your finger and look at my, uh, reach your hand here. And he put it into his side. And it says, do not be unbelieving, but believing. And then in verse 28, it says, and Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. Unfortunately, many will not make it to that eternal garden city where Jesus has prepared a place for us. And Jesus has made it clear that many will miss their turn and get on the wrong road and never make it to heaven. He tells us in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and following, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life and there are few who find it. Difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Yes, it's a difficult road. Any of us who tend to be swayed by the crowd, who find it hard to swim upstream, might find ourselves easily ending up on this wrong road. And I ask you, are you one of the few who are willing to carry Jesus' cross along a dirt road rather than a 10-lane highway leading to destruction? Are you willing to deny yourself and follow Jesus as your Lord, your master? And as I conclude, I want us to go back to those words of Jesus declared in John chapter seven, verse 37 and 38, at the Feast of Tabernacles, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. These rivers of living water flow from his own Holy Spirit. And if we come to him and drink of his spirit, we will experience eternal life already now. We don't have to wait until the resurrection. And when we drink of the Holy Spirit, it's, it's just a foretaste of an even greater flow of those waters of life in the eternal garden city of Jerusalem. I'll just read a selection of verses about that city 
what it's like in the presence of the resurrected Lord and the Lamb of God. Verse 2, Then I, John, saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for a husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no sorrow, no crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Then in verse 27, but there shall be by no, by no means enter anything that defiles or causes an, an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. And he showed me a pure river of water, of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb in the middle of its street, as I read earlier. And on either side of the river was a tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Let's RSVP to Yeshua's invitation, come to me. And I urge us all today to make sure that we make it to that eternal garden city of Jerusalem by believing in our hearts in the true Jesus, the Jesus who is spoken about in the scriptures. We need to get back to the Bible and believe in the one who is revealed there. And finally, I urge all of us to make sure that we believe in our hearts in the true Jesus who is the Lord. He is risen and he is Lord. He is even master of the universe, our God, who revealed himself in the flesh, who died on the cross in the flesh, who was raised again bodily from the tomb and lives forever. And he wants to dwell with us in his city, the new Jerusalem. We're going to have communion in a moment. It's a foretaste of the marriage supper of the Lamb. It gives us a sense, it's a foretaste of heaven. It's a, a sense of his presence with us. And I would ask each and every one of us to consider his claims. If you don't know him today, he says, come to me. And he will not turn you away. He will welcome you with loving arms. God bless you.
What a powerful message from Pastor Wayne Hillsden, and also beautiful worship song bringing us into the presence of the King by Paul Wilbur. You know, we are challenged today and reminded of the wonderful redemption that is offered to us through our Messiah and of the hope that awaits us. And yet, Pastor reminded us today that it requires more than just intellectual assent. It requires more than just lip service. We're actually called to make him Lord. And to make him king means knowing his word and walking in his word. And that's the challenge that I'm gonna take away from today. Amen, that's such, good, that's such a good challenge. And also, I really believe that the Lord is asking each one of us to open up our own hearts personally for this invitation. It's an invitation coming from the garden tomb and inv inviting you to experience this uh, reality in this garden city. Now let us prepare ourselves to take communion. So I want to invite everyone to uh, gather your communion uh, elements, but also to prepare our hearts. Uh, and we have two amazing pastors who are going to be joining and leading this for us. That's right. We have Pastor Avraham Ben-Hod with us today. He's a local Messianic pastor from Ma'alea Dumim. You've met his son already throughout the feast. That's Shiloh Ben-Hod. And we're privileged to have him with us as well. Yes, and we also have a pastor, Vincent Shamas, who's an Arab-speaking pastor out of a congregation here in Jerusalem. They invite international and local believers to come and assemble together in this great city. It's just an expression of this one new man uh, experience that we see in the scriptures in Ephesians, uh, where we have an Arab and a Messianic pastor coming together to join in breaking bread and the drinking of wine. I greet, I greet you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ from the land of the Lord, the grand of the land of the great King. We want to do the Lord's Supper today from the garden tomb. Father, we believe in your son, Lord Jesus. We believe in your amazing love for us. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we recognize that we have a covenant with you. This is the new covenant was ratified by the shed blood of Jesus on the cross at Calvary. Right now, we acknowledge that Jesus bore our sins, sickness, disease, fears, torments, unforgiveness, sacrifice, and lake for us everything on that cross yes lord we believe that jesus body was broken for us 
We praise and thank you for Jesus' glory to your name, Jesus. Stripes, we are healed in every cell, in every organ, in every function of our body. Thanks to Jesus for our youth and is renewed with a long life. You will satisfy us, Father, through Jesus' sacrifice, we have total and complete redemption. We are totally delivered from the devil, devil in every way. We are new creation in Jesus Christ. Our freedom had been bought and paid for, yes, we are forgiven. We are redeemed. We are free. We are saying thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name, we give thanks. Amen. Amen. I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians 11, 23. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered into you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night which, uh, which he was betrayed, took bread, And when he had given thanks, he he break the it break it. He break it and said, "Take it, take eat it. This is my body, which is broken for us. This do in remembrance of my of me. Let's eat it now. Thank you, Father." to say what he had received from the Lord. And he said, in like way, in likewise, he took the cup after the supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me every time you drink. Indeed, every time that you eat of this bread and you drink of this from this cup, you are remembering the death of our Lord until he comes. Those words that Yeshua said, um, that this cup is the cup of the new covenant, he's actually quoting from the only place in the Bible where these two words are mentioned together, the new covenant. It's such a common term for us as believers, new covenant, new testament, and yet it occurs only once in Jeremiah chapter 31, and in relation to that prophecy that the disciples would have certainly understood where it came from, they understood that here Yeshua's declaring him as the himself as that fulfillment of the new covenant. This blood that he was about to shed on the cross would be that which gave authorization, gave power 
to this new covenant that had been promised by the prophet Jeremiah some 500 years earlier. And now Jesus was saying, this is it. It's like, this new covenant is like Jesus betrothing us to him. And we're celebrating that fact now that we are betrothed to him, that he's promised to make us his people, that he's promised to be our God. He's promised to put his law in our hearts. He's promised that we will know him and that we will have no need for somebody to teach us because we have the Holy Spirit. Amen. And he's promised also something very special, that God will forgive our iniquities and he will remember our sins no more. We're remembering what Yeshua did for us on the cross. And yet God is saying that he's forgetting, he's not forgetting because there's a big difference between forgetting and, remem and not remembering. Not remembering is a volitional, is a choice. Forgetting is something that just goes from us. Can God really forget? He can't forget. He remembers, but He's chosen not to remember our sins. And so in this cup that we're celebrating now, we're celebrating that marvelous fact that God forgives our sins, that we betrothed to Yeshua, and that we will be with Him one day in His uh, kingdom of glory. Amen. So let's pray together. I invite all of you who are watching, those of you who are with us, just to take now the cup, and I will pray. I'll pray in Hebrew and also in English, and then uh, we will take together from this cup. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech Olam Borei Priyagefin B'Shem Yeshua. Praise you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who has created the fruit of the vine. And we know that Yeshua is the true vine. We're His branches, we're connected with Him because of the fact that He died on the cross for our sins. Thank you, dear Father in heaven, for giving us that such wonderful salvation, so rich, so free, so inclusive. We just thank you, dear Father, that you've bought us through that blood, that He's bought us with His blood. We just praise you now in His precious name. Amen. Amen. Wow, this is such a powerful um, message that we just heard about the blood of Jesus and about the stripes that he took for our healings. And maybe there are some of you that are sitting at home right now, watching us and joining us from around the nations who uh, need a touch from the Lord who need a word from the Lord or a touch from the Lord. And I want to take this time to pray for you, pray for healing in your body physically and uh, to pray over your situations. And I want to invite Pastor Abraham and Pastor Vincent, would you pray with us and just to pray over uh, the viewers for healing? Yeah. <clears throat> Our Lord Jesus, I'm from here. I have the privilege, Lord, to pray from here, from Jerusalem. Lord Jesus, I pray for all those who are in sick, Lord Jesus, I ask for healing because we, we believe that you are the healer. Lord Jesus, also I know there is a lot of problems around the world, many disease. In Jesus' mighty name, we believe that you will bind all these things away from us. I pray for your children, Lord Jesus, everywhere in all the world. Bless them from here, from Jerusalem. I'm sending blessing on them, um, healing, 
all those things should come from the Lord. We don't trust anything else. Lord Jesus, also I pray for our needs here in the land of the Lord. I pray for the needs for the people, for those who are looking at us now. Lord, I ask you to bless all these needs. Give us our needs. Open the doors. You know, Lord, we are praying for open doors for many options, many things that we need in our life. Lord, we trust you that you are the one who can cover our needs. Lord, we also give us the wisdom to speak about you because you are the one who, by the Holy Spirit, give us the power to speak and to lead people and to know your heart that you are the God and you, have, you are the Son, you are the Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, here from Jerusalem again, I greet everyone, I bless everyone. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. Dear Father, dear Father in heaven, we thank you that we have this great gift that you've given to us of salvation. We thank you, dear Father, that we are a new creation in Messiah Yeshua. We thank you, dear Father, for all those spiritual blessings that we've received through him and through what he's done. We thank you, dear Father, for your Holy Spirit. And I just pray now that you will touch the hearts of all those who know their need, and we all need you, dear Father, we all need your touch. There's not a single one of us who don't need, doesn't need you. We just ask, dear Father, now, in Yeshua's precious name, the name above all name, Amen. the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, whose healing power is just the same now today as it was then. And we just thank you, dear Father, that in his name we can ask. We can ask, and you're a good father, dear Father, you give good gifts to your children. We ask in faith for all those who are now asking and searching, searching your face, dear Father, for healing, for restoration, for uh, comfort, for whatever it may be. We ask, dear Father, in Yeshua's name, Amen. a blessing over them. We thank you, dear Father, that we have been saved, body, uh, spirit, and soul. And we just ask now, dear Father, for complete healing for each and every one. Amen. Until that day when Yeshua will come back and we will be like him because we'll see him as he is and we will be changed forever and all eternity in Yeshua's name. Amen. 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 Yes, Father, we remember, Lord, that you were here at this location, Father, and that your spirit, Father, that it raised you from the dead, that the Holy Spirit raised you from the dead. Father, that same spirit, Father, we know that so many are, are watching right now, are joining in right now, Father. And Lord, I just ask God that your spirit would start to permeate their rooms, Father, that your, your presence would be with them even right now, Lord. And Father, I'm just asking God for each one that has a need, Father, that has a touch right now, that, that desires and needs a touch from you, that is healing, Father. Lord, it's, it's not a small thing for you, Lord. You can do it. Your hand is not too short, Lord. But Lord, you are, have the authority and all the power, Father. Father, we just ask right now in the name of Jesus that you would touch each soul, Father, each heart, Father, each life, Father. We plead the blood of Jesus over these ones that are watching. In the name of Jesus, we speak, be healed right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Now we have an exciting worship song coming from Taiwan called Via Della Rosa.
I'm here with Pastor Avraham Ben Hod. He leads a local Messianic congregation in Malaya Dumim. And he's going to share with us today how the festivals of the Lord point to our Messiah and are fulfilled in Him. Pastor Avraham, we just had communion together. Perhaps you could share with our friends around the world how does the communion relate to Passover? It has everything to do with Passover. Um, <clears throat> In fact, a number of years ago, I remember reading an article in one of Israel's daily newspapers, um, an article by a professor from a religious university in Israel, who claimed and said that he believed that, in fact, what we celebrate in every Jewish home on the, the night of Passover, with the Haggadah, with the telling of the story of the coming out of Egypt and the order of the cups and, the, um, and, and the, what we do, is actually a lot of it is sourced from the time of Yeshua, Jesus, and the New Testament, from the early believers in Him, which is interesting thought. Um, we know from Luke's account that of the Last Supper that uh, when Yeshua sat down with His disciples, He said to them, before He did anything else, He said, I've longed to, t to participate in this Passover with you before my uh, suffering. And then he takes the cup and he blesses it and he says, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until I drink it anew in the kingdom of heaven. That was the first cup. Uh, a Passover meal now today and has done for the last 2,000 years at least has four cups. And the first cup is the cup of sanctification. Each cup has a, a name. And that would have been the first cup when he was saying that he won't be drinking again of the fruit of the vine until He's talking about what was happening that evening, that Passover meal that he was taking, in fact, 24 hours before everybody else in Israel was taking, was taking it. And I'll, I'll say why in just a moment. And then he takes the bread, which is part of the, uh, the unleavened bread, and he breaks it and he blesses it. And this is part of the Passover tradition as well. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Eat. And then uh, Luke tells us that he takes the cup after the supper, which is the third cup in fact, it's the cup of redemption, and it's the cup which we take um, at the beginning of the grace, and it's just after we've eaten something which is very special in Jewish tradition, it's called the afikoman, it's, it's one of the three Passover uh, matzot, which is broken in the middle, and part of it is hidden, and the children wait for this before Passover to do this. They, they look for it and they, uh, they find, they reveal this piece of the matzah which has been broken and then it's revealed and then we, the last thing we eat of the Passover meal is actually this Passover matzah afikoman which has been broken and we take. Then we drink of the cup. And so this cup, after the supper, Jesus says, Yeshua says, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Drink it. So in very many ways, the communion is actually based or part and part very much part of the Passover tradition that we celebrate. We know that Yeshua celebrated the Passover meal before the Passover lambs were sacrificed in the temple. And um, the Passover lamb would have been chosen four days previously on the 10th of Nisan, the, the, the first month of the, the Jewish year. And uh, this lamb would have then been um, in the afternoon, towards the evening, would have been sacrificed 
and then immediately taken to be roasted over the fire so it could be eaten later on that night uh, in every Jewish home. So in fact, Yeshua was preempting, not preempting, he was um, doing this Passover meal before it would be done to him when he would be sacrificed it's on symbolic. the cross. Very, very symbolic. Yeah. And of course we know that Yeshua's ministry started by when Yohanan, John the Baptist said, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Yeshua came for this purpose and they're very much fulfilled in the Passover mm -hmm. context. That's so beautiful, isn't it, to see that. You know, within the Passover, there's another, it's not really a holiday, but it's a special day, I don't know how you call it exactly, that's known as First Fruits. And how does this relate to resurrection? Um, the, first, the First Fruits is actually the first day, was the second day of Passover. It's the, the first day of Passover is a, like a Shabbat, um, it's a holy day when no work is done, um, when it's celebrated, that's the first day of Passover. And then the day immediately after that is the day of when the first fruits of the barley harvest, because the barley ripens uh, earlier than the wheat harvest, the barley harvest, the sheaves were taken um, probably that very evening when the sun went down, they would go into the fields, places which were designated and where that, this barley was grown, they would gather these sheaves and bring them to the temple and wave them, the high priest would wave them before the Lord as a wave offering for the Lord. And I think it speaks in a very, very special way. Um, Yeshua said it himself. <clears throat> um, it's translated, I think, in English when a grain of wheat, but it can refer to other grains of mm -hmm. cereals. Mm -hmm. It can reflate, relate also to barley mm -hmm. as well. Unless a grain of wheat or a grain of barley or a grain of cereals falls into the ground and dies, it cannot bring forth fruit. And uh, so this is a wonderful picture, I think, of, of Yeshua's resurrection. And we know that he rose from the dead on the day after the Shabbat of Passover, on the first day of the week, which was then, which was then and still is Sunday. Um, so he rose on the day, the very day, probably in those hours when those barley sheaves were being harvested and taken to the temple, he rose from the dead, glorious, victorious over death. The first fruits of the dead, right? That the new life that will be for all of us one day, yes. yeah. And also, we are, this is part of the bringing of the first fruits, we are to bring also, God has commanded, in every single one of the major pilgrim festivals, mm -hmm. we are commanded to bring the first fruits of the land. Mm -hmm. Amen. Mm -hmm. So, tell me, do you see any connection between Passover and Sukkot, Feast of Tabernacles? Um, when we consider the, the wider picture of the biblical festivals, then certainly um, we do see God's plan of salvation for this world, beginning with the solution for our sin and for the inauguration of the new covenant, whereby we have that possibility, we've given that entrance into his family. Um, that new covenant is offered to us in Yeshua through his blood and through his body and his death on the cross, of course. And then the other festivals come afterwards and the spring festivals have been all fulfilled mm -hmm. in him. We believe that these four festivals, the autumn festivals, will be also fulfilled in Yeshua and they point to him and will be fulfilled in him. So if Passover tells us about this new covenant, 
that uh, God is offering now, not only to his own people, which he promised in Jeremiah, mm -hmm. the house of Israel, the house of Judah, he's now promising it and opening it to all those who would accept, all those who have been created by him. And so, in a sense, the, this new covenant is inaugurated with a, a, a covenant of um, engagement. As in a Jewish wedding, and in I think every wedding, usually there is beforehand, when, a person, when two people get married, they're the first to get engaged, and they commit themselves one to another. There's the engagement ring, and then there's the consummation, there's the fulfillment of that promise, that, uh, that commitment in the marriage um, declaration, the, the promises that are made. So the fall festivals, I believe, speak very strongly about what's going to be happening um, in God's plan for the end of all things as we know it now today. So, so Tabernacles is considered to be the time when Yeshua comes to dwell again in Jerusalem amongst his people as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He came the first time as to be the, the, the lamb, the sacrificial lamb. Now he's coming back as the victorious king. And when we meet him, he's going to gather us as his ones that he's betrothed. Amen. And now he's going to enter us into the marriage feast of the lamb. So, so in fact, they're connected, very much connected. The first one and the last one with the eighth day is like the two bookends of God's plan of salvation for us. We've been betrothed. We're waiting for our full salvation and uh, becoming like him and being married to him, to being uh, he, he, him to be our God and to us but to be fully his people. Could you pray for the church around the world to get a greater revelation of these things? Certainly. Yeah. So Father in heaven, <clears throat> I just thank you for the fact that we all belong to one great family which has been purchased according to your plans and purposes which you ordained and purposed before the creation of this world. Things that our finite minds cannot understand. And we just thank you, dear Father, for how you have revealed your plans and your word in and through the writings of the Tanakh and the Brit Chadashah, the New Testament. We thank you, dear Father, we can see in all those things that prefigure and point to Yeshua and how he is the center of all of your plans for us, for this world. And we just thank you that we can see even in the biblical fest, feasts and the Shabbat and the things that you've given to Israel specifically, but as, as a gift to all mankind to understand more fully the revelation that you desire for each one to understand. I just pray, dear Father, now in Yeshua's name that all those who are lovers of Yeshua and love God's word, will be diligent in searching the scriptures, in understanding and receiving from you what you desire to give, that deeper and most, most wonderful understanding of your purposes and plans, which are so full and so perfect, so that we can know you so fully that we, don't, we won't need somebody to teach us know God, but we will all know him from the youngest to the oldest, because Yeshua is dwelling in us with his Holy Spirit. I thank you now for the fact that you desire to show these things to those who you love. We thank you that your secret is with those that, that fear you. And I pray that for all those who fear and love your holy name. 
in Yeshua's precious name. Amen. We've spoken about Jesus' death, but praise the Lord, the story doesn't end there. And now we're going to celebrate the resurrection and the first fruit of the life that we will all one day enjoy in him as we go into worship with Eddie James. So we declare that Jesus is alive. Come on, feast. Say that Jesus is alive. Say that one more time. Jesus is alive. Put your hands together. Oh, we celebrate you, Jesus. The lamb that was slain, he's alive. Oh, forever he shall reign, he's alive. They crucified him at Calvary, but he rose in victory. Fight! 